Read about the Northern Wrestling Federation in the book presented by Russellville.com, The The Pro Pro Wrestling Wrestling Fault, Volume 2. Hear the story of Roger Ruffin, the man who trained Carl Anderson, Anderson, the Monster Abyss, Jordan Clearwater, Chris Harrison, Jillian Hall. Plus 45 other short stories including Jazz, Bobby Eaton, Kamala, Thunder Rosa, Mario Mancini, Scott Casey, PJ Black, Kerry Morton, Sal Renaro, Jeremiah Plunkett, Colby Carino, Bam Bam Malone, and many others. Get your book today at Russellville.com. Russellville, it's where wrestling lives. the Russellville Podcast. I'm your host, Vinny Berry, and my guest this episode is Mark Youngblood, professional wrestler. Well, retired professional wrestler, but back in the day, boy, the territory days, you and your brothers were the men. Mark, how you doing, brother? Oh, great. Thank you, Vinny, for having me here. I'm, I'm doing fantastic. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure actually talking to somebody in so many years about the, the wrestling world and our family. And yeah, it's a pleasure talking to you, baby. Oh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. You, me and you have such good conversations just talking whenever, right? We were talking earlier today and boy, man, I, I'm telling you the, the stories you shared with me. So, you know, for you to finally come on and, uh, I, I met you when I reached out to you and your brother. To help me with the Lance Von Erich book, I had the opportunity to speak with you, and uh, man, we've been staying in touch ever since. So it's been a, a pleasure just getting to know you. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you kind of keeping me in the loop. Kind of, I mean, if it wasn't for you, I really wouldn't know what was going on out there. I mean, I'm not on Facebook, and I don't really watch the wrestling anymore. So it's kind of, it's kind of a, definitely a pleasure talking about the business again. You come from a wrestling family, and uh, you were born in the wrestling. Just kind of tell us a little bit about that, who your father is. Well, uh, my father was Rapid Ricky Romero, a Mexican wrestler, you know, uh, started many years ago in uh, California and worked over there in the Olympic Auditorium in San Francisco at the Cal Palace and you know, and, uh, he migrated, uh, all the way to Texas. And, well, actually, years ago, Dory Funk Sr. was, uh, looking for a Mexican wrestler to come to the territory since there are a lot of Mexicans here in the Texas panhandle and Texas. I guess you would know all that, maybe. You know, so it, it was one of those deals when, uh, you know, my dad said, let's pack up the, like, uh, the Beverly Hillbillies. Let's pack up the station wagon, take the kids to Texas. You know, they need a Mexican wrestler over there. Uh, so Ricky Romero was the top Mexican wrestler here in Texas for many years in Amarillo. I'd say the, the upper Texas because Texas is very big and, you know, they definitely had a lot of good Mexican wrestlers here. Jose Lothario, you know, there was uh, guys down at uh, in San Antonio, um, I, I can't really think of them right now, but I, there's many Mexican wrestlers. But my dad was just really fortunate to be able to come to Texas because of Dory Funk Sr. You know, that's kind of where it started at. What what year do you think that was when your dad got the call? Oh, hell, um, I would say uh, in the 50s maybe. Uh, I, I, I can go probably look on an old wrestling card here and I can give you a date. 
you know, with my father, you know, back in the day, uh, it was, uh, oh hell, it doesn't even show it, you know, so I really can't tell. It was probably the late 50s, I would say. Yeah. Okay. And so, do you remember about how old you were? Oh God, I, I, I was probably, I really can't, cause he came, he came several times. He came uh, once by himself, you know, to figure out and, and see what the territory was like. You know, made a few dollars, you know, and then he came back to California, picked up the family, kind of, you know, kind of made a nest for the family. No, uh, five of us at the time. Chris wasn't even born at the time, you know, and I was, mm-hmm. you know, just out of diapers, actually. Uh, we lived, yeah, I was probably three years old, maybe three years old, still in diapers, you know. Wow. So, yeah, it was, yeah, a long time ago. And then, uh, yeah, so that's kind of what, where, the way it was, you know, my brother's Rick, uh, Jr., and then of course, uh, my brother Steve, Jay Youngblood, you know, then myself, and then Chris, you know, a lot, a lot of boys to get into the business. And my dad right. would start young, you know, you know, uh, and at the time, it, it really wasn't televised on TV, you know, so it was kind of, you know, it was one of these deals, and when it was televised on TV, it was a big deal. My dad was recognized. He was able to speak to the Mexican people. He was bilingual, which really helped this territory because the Mexican people really could uh, relate to my father. You know, they when TV came on, you know, as far as being Mexicans and blacks and, you know, different kind of uh, um, Caucasians out there, it was just, and when my dad was recognized on TV, everywhere he went, you know, they knew him. The Mexican people knew him. You know, he was like, a, you know, like a hero to these uh immigrant farm workers around here you know around here there's potato fields there's sugar cane fields you know tomatoes whatever it is and all these mexican people just they they knew my father and when they watch him on tv they go man he's like one of us you know he speaks spanish and he's a superstar wrestler you know so that kind of put my dad up on the top level of being you know not only a wrestler but a mexican wrestler you know right so it was but sometimes it's a good thing, you know, but sometimes, you know, it might be a good thing here, but it might not go up in New York, I would say, because there's not a lot of Mexican people. So, you know, right. it just depends where the, where the territories, what, what they need, you know, so it just depends, you know, it, Texas was definitely a good place for the Mexican wrestlers. I can tell you that. You can look anywhere else and you don't see them. You see them in California back in the day, old Victor Rivera. Uh, uh, Chavo Guerrero, you know, good friends of my, my family, the Guerreros, you know, his dad, uh, Gordy, Gordy worked with my dad. We worked with them, you know, over the years. And, you know, another good Mexican family in the business, you know, the Guerreros, you know, who, who doesn't know the Guerreros, you know, and, you know, they're like brothers to me, you know, they, they came to Amarillo in the years, you know, and, and we all kind of, the brothers, our brothers kind of hung out with their brothers and, and we went to all, my father sent this to, uh, well, not all at the same time, but, uh, it was called Maverick Boys Club here. And they had wrestling, amateur wrestling. So all of us, you know, got a taste of that. The Guerreros, the Romeros, we all went to, we all wrestled amateur, you know, so we wrestled our, uh, Maverick Boys Club here in Amarillo. And, you know, so all of us got a taste, you know, a taste of, you know, but he wanted us to know what wrestling really was about. You know, he wanted to make sure when you go in the ring, you weren't going to get stretched by some jabroni up there. He wanted to make sure when you go in there, you're going to stretch a guy like a rubber band, you know. So we're all capable of handling our own way. You know, I don't care how big you are. He taught us to, you know, bigger are, 
uh, hard do you fall? And, you know, it doesn't take much to drop a big guy. So and it was all with wrestling. So we all, Steve, Steve was a, we weren't the best wrestlers. We were champions, you know, but I tell you what, we knew what to do when it, when it came time to, you know, using, uh, 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 I guess a, oh, just a amateur move on somebody. You know, they're, nowadays some of the professional guys are using amateur moves, you know, tapping them out. You know, that's been around for years. You know, why don't they do more of that stuff? I mean, I could stick a guy in a guillotine right now and make him tap out or, you know, stretch him, chicken wing, you know, take him over, roll him over. Yeah, I mean, my dad taught us those things, you know, to go right, out right. there and get, get get educated and then go out there in the ring when we're ready. You know, and and let's not let's not forget what's on the marquee, right? Yeah, that's it. Wrestling. That, 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 that was my one of my interviews. I wasn't a great talker back in the day, but when I did do an interview, I would say that, Vinny. Remember what the marquee says, wrestling. And that's what it would be, you know. And I'd go in there. My, when I'd start off, I'd, I'd test the, my, my opponent. I'd go in there and I'd do a, a single leg or a double leg or go behind them, take them down and hook their arm for a little bit and roll on top of them, tap them on the back and jump up and go, okay. You know, but then I couldn't do that to Bob Backlund or, you know, some other, uh, you know, some of these other guys that went to the Olympics. So went to Kurt Haney or not Kurt Haney. Kurt Haney was a hell of a wrestler. You know, Kurt, the other guy, you know, you know, there's some guys out there are good shooters. You know, I wasn't the right. best shooter, but I, I tell you what, you know, I was able to hold my own and, and that's what my dad wanted out of us, you know, to be able to go out there and, and look the part, you know, and, Oh, this guy can't wrestle. He just, you know, he, he's green as can be. Yeah. You know, but when it came time to hooking up and I might have been a little stiff. My dad always told us to be stiff in the business. You know, you got to make a believer out of the people. And that's exactly what we try to do. Unorthodox sometimes, but hell, it worked. You know, who was the first brother to get into the business after your dad? Jay, Jay started at, like I did, 17. Well, we all started young. I mean, I started, you know, Jay started, I guess, 15, 16. My dad would stick the mask on us, you know, the hood. He put a mask on us and, and he would use us in the, the opening matches, you know, we work against each other. We work, I work against my older brother, Rick. And Rick would be an Indian and I'd go in there and Mr. M and wear the hood, you know, and the people would never know it, you know, and that's the way he trained us, you know. And Steve, he, he did the same thing. He did the Silver Street deal, wore the mask, you know, and, and came in and, and people, some people knew it, but other people didn't. My dad didn't really want to send us out there until we were really ready, so he made us, you know, go undercover and work with different people, old-timers now. I'm talking about old guys, you know, Les Thornton and, you know, some of these guys that Cyclone Negro and, you know, just old guys that would take care of us and knew the business and knew that, you know, so Jay was definitely the person to go. He was probably, I don't know, 18, 19. He took off to his first territory was New Brunswick, Canada. Way out there. Nova Nova Scotia. And he worked for uh, uh, the Beast. And, uh, John Leothan Boyd and Leo Burke, you know, and, you know, big guy, uh, big old, uh, Canadian guy, um, uh, well, anyway, Jay was the first one out there. And after he, you know, went up there and, you know, uh, just got a little polished up, you would say, and 
then he came back down to the States and, you know, he went up to Portland and he ended up making a name for himself. You know, he, he definitely was a talented guy. More sure gifted and talented than, than me, my brother. And just, I, I tell you what, he compares to my dad because my dad had that. I mean, it's, it's hard to do that to be able to get the people and, uh, it's just charisma. You know, he had that and just a natural gift of, of wrestling. And while we're on the, the topic of, of Jay, you know, I, I would, I would say he really did have a, a promising career ahead of him. He was, you know, they had him, uh, as tag team, uh, champions with Ricky Steamboat. And my goodness, you know, he, you know, sadly he, he died in 1984, right? Right, right. Yeah, in Australia. Yeah, we were there. Yeah, after his run in the Carolinas, Steamboat and all that, uh, yeah, all that big run, that's where we end up, we're, we're end up going to move there. You know, we were moving, we were living there at the time. But that, yeah, it was just, uh, he had, he had a great run with Steamboat. And I tell you what, I mean, a lot of people were schooled by my brother, if I, if I should say that in the Carolinas, because, you know, they've never seen anything like that. When he came to the Carolinas, and I know Steamboat didn't, you know, he he pulled me to the side. He said it up on stage that if it wasn't for my brother Jay, he wouldn't be where he's at now, you know. And that come out of his mouth, it meant a lot to me. It really did, you know. He said that at the Cauliflower Alley, you know, ceremony there. He got up on the stage and and he just wanted to come out in in the open and say Jay taught him everything that he really knew. Because if you look at Steamboat's career before my brother got a hold of him, as far as a good thing, you know, Steamboat wasn't really a polished wrestler. Very mechanical. You know, he, he went to a wrestling school down in Florida, you know, learned just kind of what the basic shit was. It really didn't have the, you know, the glow and, you know, just again, the charisma, what it takes to be a wrestler. It, it, you know, you got to have it from walking out that dressing room, walking down that aisle, Jumping over that fence and getting in the ring, you got to have the, the the attention of those people from the very beginning. And when you get right. in there, you don't want their eyes to be taken off of you, you know. And so, uh, Steamboat, when I mean, don't get me wrong, he was a good wrestler, but he was just just another kid out of a wrestling academy that learned from just kind of the basic wrestlers in the Carolinas and Florida, which you know, headlock takeover and. You know, just the basics, how to fall, how to hit the ropes and whatnot. It takes a lot to to make all that come possible with, you know, your uh, whatever you have behind it, you know. Very few people come out as the full package right away, right? I mean, you, you have to oh, grow into that. Does. Oh, <laughs> Danny, nobody does. All of, us, all of us come out like a plant. We all come out green. We all sprout out not knowing what we're going to be, you know. And it's just that same thing. I was green as the grasses outside. My brother was. We're all green at one time. Even the best football player, the best tennis player, we're all green. But eventually we all have a, a, a niche or a net in our life that we we have inside of us. You know, whether it's wrestling, football. Ba- I love baseball. Baseball was my, my passion. You know, I was a hell of a oh. pitcher and a hell of a third baseman, you know, for high school. But then, you know, back during the days, you know, it seems like, I mean, I don't want to put race into this thing, but, you know, there weren't too many Mexican kids, you know, that, 
that played on a high school baseball team up here in Texas. You know, a lot of, I would say a lot of, you know, not money at all. You know, and when I, I was a pitcher from all the way from my kindergarten, junior high, played with the same guys over the, the years. We all, you know, we're a, we're a group. When I got to high school, Romero, I'm sorry, we're going to have to cut you. And all the guys go, well, coach, he's our pitcher. He's our third, be-, you know, and I was, that's when I knew what things were really about, you know, in a certain way, you know, politics and how things, you know, and, you know, and they pulled me into the coach's dress room and, and told me, yeah, I'm sorry, we're going to have to let you go, Mark. And I just, you know, it tore my heart out. And that's when I told my dad, I go, well, he goes, what do you want to wrestle? And so he set up the ring in the backyard. And that's where it began. You know, we had a ring, and my dad ran shows. So, yeah, I put on the tights, and you chubby little boy, you know, I, I'll be, by all means, I, I'm not, you know, Lex Luger, Hulk Hogan, Ricky Steamboat, big bodies, you know. I'm I'm just a soft baby face, you know, tender body, you know, had a little talent, you know, what my dad gave me. You know, he, he can only push me out there so far, and then it's up to me to, I, I guess, make success for myself. You know, so it, it, and it's for everybody else out there. I mean, we all start off green. Yeah, I'm looking at magazines right now, Bob Backlund, Hulk Hogan, Barry Windham, Valentine, Tommy Rich, you know, Teddy DiBiase, Neil Moskas, you know, all these guys, and, and Roddy Piper, Ivan Koloff, all these guys are my, you know, my buddies, Bobby Orton Jr., Junkyard Dog, you know, we got Hacksaw Butch Reed, you know, all these guys are Kevin Sullivan. These are guys that, that are, the big cat Ernie Ladd. Well, who in the hell got to work with Ernie Ladd? You know who Ernie Ladd is, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah number 99. I think he played for the Colts back in the day. Mr. Wrestling, you know, the Briscoes, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've had a hell of a career, and it's just, uh, you know, anyway, we can get – like I well, told you earlier, I mean, just one thing ticks to another, and you <laughs> – Oh, yeah. And all those guys you mentioned, I mean, classics, you know? Oh, Ricky Martel, you know, those guys. Oh, yeah. Roger Kirby, you know, I got guys that, you know, like I said, Harley Race used to be my boss, you know, Bob Brown, uh, Orndorff, Terry Orndorff. You know, not too many people knew Terry Orndorff. They knew Paul Orndorff, you know, his brother, of course, you know, but... You know, yeah, he's, uh, just the old school. You know, Pat O'Connor, he was one of my teachers and bosses. Uh, Lou Fez, you know, you got Danny Hodge, used to wrestle for Oklahoma, I believe. You know, these guys that I got to meet when I was a young kid and thrown in the ring with and come here, kid, you know, how's your dad? And then they hit me as hard as they could on my ear, you know, try to get that cauliflower going, you know, you know, hey, come here, kid, you know, they're tough, raunchy dudes, you know. You know, they throw you in the ring with these old salty bastards that's been in there, you know, shit, they're in doing it before I was even born, you know. I was going, son of a bitch, you know. How's your dad? You know, you get in the ring, they hit you, stare at I said hi, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, shit. One of those deals. Yeah, it, it was definitely, you know. I don't know what to say, you know. It's just uh, it's been a great life, I can tell you that. And and you were you were involved in wrestling in such a great era. I mean, my goodness, you know you you talk about the territory days and you know the uh, the eighties. That was just a good time for pro wrestling. I thought. What 
Well, if you had the Florida territory, you had the Tennessee territory, you know, uh, that was Jerry Lawler. You had Bill Watts down in Louisiana. You know, you went up to Bernagonia. That was Minneapolis, you know, and then you shot over to California. You know, it, it, it was everywhere, you know, and it was at the time I was a freelance wrestler, which was great. So I could go the around the world, you know, Israel and Malaysia and, you know, so I was able to go. They wanted an Indian in Australia. So Mark Youngblood was on uh, WTBS, Ted Turner, Worldwide, Cable Hit the World. And that's kind of what gives a big push to a lot of the wrestlers, you know. Just that cable, when it came in, it was worldwide, you know. So, yeah. And back in that day, I mean, you really did have, like, these larger-than-life characters, right? You know, and and I'm not just talking, like, the – the big, you know, the big size wrestlers, but like Kamala, I mean, what a character that was, and Kabuki, oh, and yeah. Kendo Nagasaki, mm-hmm. and, you know, the Young Bloods. Right. I mean, you guys, every, you know, it seemed like there was this, this personality that, that went with wrestling, right? The great Kabuki. And if yeah. you have never seen that guy wrestle, I mean, the guy would have green liquid in his mouth the whole match. He might be going 30 minutes. He might be going an hour, but he has that green spray in his mouth. Figure that would be. I mean, you talk about, you know, the people are waiting for it. You know, you know, right. when it's time, he's going to spin in the middle of that ring like he did, have that head down, that hair's flying, stretch back and hit that ink in the face. Of course, the referee didn't see it. And of course, he didn't see the ink all over everywhere. And, you know, it, the rest is history, but yeah, you talk about characters, man. I mean, yeah, there's, and that's what it was about. Wrestling was about care. Whatever was on TV at the time of the air, wrestling was all about that. When it was about the war, we had the German wrestlers. We had the Japanese wrestlers, you know, the Japanese versus the Germans, you know, the Americans come in with the flag versus the Japanese. We went through that era, you know, so that, you know, you get, uh, Scary movie. Now you got The Undertaker. You know, you guys got Jason the Terrible. You know, guys wearing masks that won't die. You hit them with everything in the, in the building and they still won't die. You know, but the people love them. They're characters. George the Animal still. The guy ate turnbuckles. You know, and the people couldn't wait till he turned that turnbuckle and started eating it. You know, had beautiful Elizabeth right next to him. Those days are gone. I mean, the, the, the imagination is gone. It's, it's in the gym now. It's coming out to see who looks buff and shiny and all, you know, juiced up. You know, it looks good. All right. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I mean, they look, they look the part. They look mean and stuff, you know, powerful and all that. But when they speak, you know, they got a high tenor voice. You know, it's kind of like, well, you know, it's kind of, but yeah, back in the day, it was just cowboys. You know, I'm looking at Bobby Orton right now, you know, Cowboy Bob Orton. You know, they tagged him with uh, Dick Slater. And me and Wahoo had to wrestle those guys for, you know, I don't know how long. You know, so what, you know, what better kind of uh, Greg Valentine, you know, hell, Angela Mosca, you know, shit, all these guys that Piper, I remember they sent Piper to uh Oklahoma, I mean to Kansas City when I first started I was green shit that was in 82 they sent Piper over there to you know I was the top baby face so they sent him over there to see if I 
be able to make it over there in the Carolinas. Evidently so. And Flair. Flair, I worked with twice. Flair in the Kansas City. I worked with him in Hutchison, Kansas, in a in a car lot. Can you believe this, Benny? In a car lot. A world champion versus Mark Youngblood Romero at the time. And the show was out in the car lot. I got, you know, big Billy Bob's Ford come, you know, see the rest of the night. But it was a sold show. So that means, you know, so everybody, and there was no ringside. The ring was in the middle of the car lot, and people were standing around it and just watching the whole show. And I had, it was wild because, you know, I worked with Phil Air that night. My first night to work with Flair had to be outside. And he never forgot that. You know, down the road, we talked about that. He goes, I couldn't believe, you know, too, you don't have a world champion out in the parking lot, a car lot. But. He was champion at that time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I worked with him twice when he was champion. Yeah, Harley brought him into Kansas City. And, you know, they were trying to get me over. They were trying to push a baby face. And at the time, I really didn't know it because sometimes you don't know what's going on, Benny. When you're that young and just kind of like sometimes it goes over your head, you know, like, you know, you're not really in the psychology of some of these other people and you just think you're just out there wrestling the world champion. I don't know that they're trying to give me a push. You know, and I was just hoping, saying, well, you're going to beat the world champion tonight. I would have just flipped out, you know, but right. believe me, when, when they, believe me, when they said I was going to work with Rick, you don't think it crossed my mind that, well, maybe they just, for some reason, IT drops the belt to me in Kansas. You know, I know it didn't happen, but, but see, those are, those are things that kind of, that, you know, in my life would happen to me. You know, I got to be able to work with some top ranked guys, you know, and, and of course, I end up going to Carolinas and work with Flair and, you know, like six mans with my brother or just, you know, being on the same card, of course, you know. Yeah, but just right. Greensboro at the big shows, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, I had my opportunity. I guess we all have our opportunity. When you get in the business, you either, you either go for it or you get out and not just do it just because, you know, you, you want to get noticed on the street somewhere. Hey, aren't you so and so? And you know you're you're a wrestler and on TV and stuff, but you're driving a nineteen you know something car that you know you think don't add up. You know when you say, hey, yeah, I'm a superstar, make a lot of money. And when you're not driving a nice car, you don't have your own home. You're not a superstar. You know <laughs> I I've lived. I, you know, I'm telling you, too, you know, you, we lived in a lot of apartments, hotels and shit, you know, but you're not really a superstar until you're on, you own your own property and you got everything under control. But when you're under a puppeteer, you have no chance. Was there a point in your career, you know, when you're, you're grinding it out, you're, you know, you're, you're just going, going in, in, in your early years, but was there a particular point in your career where you thought, Hey, I'm I'm shooting up the ladder, you know where where you thought, wow, you know I'm I'm getting a push, or you know I'm 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 making my stake here in the in the business. Yeah, well, when I, when I got my first check for one night for five grand, I knew that I was uh, then I was making money, and then the rest of the week, then my checks were you know up to six to seven grand a week, you know working for the Carolina. So then I knew I was I was in the money. Plus, I wasn't doing jobs. I wasn't getting squashed. And they're sticking me with Wahoo. They're sticking me with, you know, big names up there, Steamboat, you know, whoever, you know. Yeah, I was in the money then when, you know, Jet Set, 
I got a box of all airplane tickets right here where, you know, I was, you know, on the airplane everywhere. You know, that's when I knew I was getting a push. I got married. Well, they didn't like when I got married. When I did get married, on a certain night, we were doing the Medellins in New York that night. So I told the guys a week before the Medellins, I go, I'm getting married. And they looked at me like, well, anyway, they just looked at me. And I go, well, I need to be back home because I'm going to go get married. I knew when, when I was making it, I was able to jump on the Learjet with Flair, Valentine, Piper, and myself. Instead of staying in New York and partying after the big show in Medellin, I jumped on the jet and flew back to Carolinas and met my wife in a little airport in the middle of nowhere. All the wives were just lining up there in all the fancy cars, my wife included, and just waiting for the jet to land. We all gave each other hugs. We all jumped in our cars. I went and got married. Flair went home. Valentine went home. Piper went home. And, and you know, so that's kind of when I knew I was kind of there, you know, and just a- able to fly with the big guys and, and go to the big parties, you know, be invited to the big, you know, big parties, big <laughs> invitations, you know. So I knew I was part of them. And was that the Carolinas? Was that a, a big money time for you? It was big paydays. Yeah, big paydays. Yeah, I would say so. But, you know, because there at the Carolinas, we had so many guys. We had almost 80-something guys or more. We had three crews. There was A, B, and C team, you know. So each of these crews went to different towns each night, you know. I was like Medellin's A team, B team would probably be somewhere in the Carolinas, C team would be somewhere maybe in Georgia, you know, but each show, each crew would have, you know, a headline or somebody that would draw money, you know, so they would kind of distribute, you know, top talent in each of these towns to draw that crowd. So yeah, I was, uh, it just depends, you know, it just depends where you're at, but I was always on the big show. Wherever the champion was, I was there because I was one of the champions. I was the world tag team champion with Wahoo. So we'd have shows, the world champion, Ric Flair versus Roddy Piper in a Texas chain match. We got the world champions, Mark, Mark Youngblood Wahoo against uh, Don Canoodle and Ivan Koloff or the Briscoes, Jack and Gerald Briscoe. Then you got him, the United States champion, uh, it was Greg Valentine versus you know, so-and-so. They dressed the card up with all the champions, you know. Not so much on the B team or on the C team. But so when I was on the A team with all the champions, I, yeah, money was good. It was coming in. It was flowing pretty good, you know. They never put any kind of a champion on the, the B or the C just to kind of pull in some, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah, they would put very much of the champions on on those teams. I mean, you would have a, I mean, you'd have good guys on there. I mean, don't get me wrong, everybody was champion in their own right, but you know, just some of these towns were a little more rural area. You know, high school gym maybe somewhere, and you know, in a little town that didn't have many people, but they know they could sell out the building. You know, and and the guys were good. I mean, like I said, big big crew. I mean, but. Yeah, that's how they did business. I mean, yeah, that's the way it was. So I knew when I was on the, the big shows with the champion, wherever the champion is, you were going to make money because you know right. it's going to be a sold-out show, show, right? I mean, who you either want to see Joe Blow or you want to see Ric Flair or, or Harley Race or, 
you know, whoever the champion was at the time. And it was good to hear, like, oh, this show sold out or, you know, there's 16,000 here tonight. You know, it was going to be a good night for me, you know. I knew I was going to put more groceries in the cabinet, you know. So, yeah, I, I was riding the wave, Benny, you know, just at that young age. I was 21, you know, just riding it riding it pretty strong, you know, just following everybody else, you know, listen to everybody. Hey, kid, you know, the advice. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't do that tonight. Hey, kid, you know. You know, it was always good criticism, corrective criticism, you know, which would, which I really liked. You know, it's always, hey, kid, can I tell you something? Sure, you know, and that's what the business was about back then, you know. And pro wrestling, especially back then, was learning on the job, right? I mean, a lot of it. Oh, man, that's all it was. I mean, you couldn't wait to get your hands on a new guy that looked good, big, polished, you know, probably a football player or a uh, weightlifter and, you know, these guys get in there. Hey, kid, you want to be a wrestler? Yeah, man, we can make money out of you. And, you know, there's a lot of guys out there, you know, I could say a lot of guys that came from the professional football, college football to get in the ring, you know, and some of them were worked out and some of them didn't. Some of them looked good, intimidating, and you could make money, but a lot of them had two left feet, you know, if you know what I mean. It's kind of right. Back then, who were, like, I guess some of the stu- superstars? I mean, that that when you look back of your career and some of the people that you worked with, some of the guys that you just think of right off the bat, like, that guy had it all. Who was that? Well, as far as, I mean, young and old, I can tell you, like, right now, I mean, young guys, it was my age. I could say Kurt Henning had it all. He was a hell of a talent. Old Old school. Uh, Roddy Piper was a hell of a talent. I mean, because you gotta have it all. You gotta be the triple threat. You gotta have to know how to talk, you know how to walk, and you know how to work. You know, if you don't have those things, if you're lacking one of them, uh, you're gonna be kinda, you know, it's gonna be difficult for you. And if you don't have all of them at all, then you're not gonna survive. But you could definitely gotta be a triple threat in this business. And I mean, I can, I can go back, I mean, Ray Stevens, you know, I mean, they all came to this this territory. There's Ray Stevens, it's uh, the, uh, Gary Hart, you know, Kevin Sullivan, the Grams came here, Eddie Graham, Mike Graham, you know, it's just back in them days, it was just uh, Harley. I knew Harley came here, Boris uh, Malenko. I remember they did a big angle here. You know, and Boris, Russian guy, brought the big chain here to Texas. Who in the hell saw a chain match? You know, a chain tied on to two wrestlers, you know, and and then Harley came with Terry and evidently put Terry's eye out with a chain, you know, and and people believed all that stuff. And, you know, when you start bringing chains in, the Sheik comes out with fire. That was a big ball of fire, you know. I mean, I've seen the bear, a real bear, come out of a school bus. The guy had a trainer. He'd get in the ring. He'd wrestle against the wrestlers. I remember they brought in Amarillo, a big old wrestling bear. They stuck a muzzle on him. And they asked all the wrestlers, all the boys, who wants to wrestle with the bear? We'll pay you so much, Dory Sr. said. My dad told him to kiss his ass, you know, because, you know, one whack of the paw, you know, that's it. So they got some of the hills, you know, get out there and wrestle with the damn bear. You know, and the people loved it. You know, a, a big marquee. 
wrestling bear. So-and-so going to wrestle the bear tonight. You know, you look at each other at your house. Did I just hear you right? But to hear him say so-and-so is going to wrestle a bear at the, you know, those kind of nights, you know. It was like Andre the Giant. Here this big old guy, seven foot something, comes walking through the door. These guys, you know, these are guys that really, you know, you can think of. You know, uh, Ox Baker. I want, you know, want to hurt people. You know, what a gentle giant that guy was. You know, he was a, a, a cattle fa- cattle farmer in Kansas, but intimidating as hell. You know, uh, yeah, there were all kinds of guys, you know, just they're all out there. You know, past Ric Flair, past, that generation's kind of newer, you know. Lou Albano, you know, Morocco, you know, those guys, you know, shit. Mark Lewin, right. those guys, yeah, King Curtis. You know, I, I, and I was able to know all these guys. My dad was the, the booker here in Amarillo for all the years. So our telephone rang off the wall. You know, hey, this is uh, uh, the Sheik. Tell your dad's the Sheik up here in Michigan. I go, Dad, the Sheik's on the phone. You know, it'd be like nothing. Dad, yeah, Dad Harley's, yeah, Dad, Dad Dad's Harley's on the phone. You know, uh, Dad Dory's on the phone. That's the way it would be. Hey, hey, is your dad here? Is your dad there? No, and then my dad would teach us right. You know who's that say? You know who's he? I'm here or not here? You know, right, right. And I would get call, we'd get calls. Hey, uh, this is so and so from uh, down here in Texas, and they said uh, you guys might looking for some talent. Would you, you know, tell your dad that I'm looking, you know, come in that territory? Can you give me a call? That kind of stuff. You know, these things you know I can't make up because it, it happened all the time. You know, it just. Uh, you know, I remember going to these small towns, and I'd be the, the uh, I'd go count. They the Kozaks would send me to the baseball stadium next to the wrestling arena here in Amarillo, and the baseball would run on the same night as the uh, wrestling. So Edie Kozak and uh, Jerry Kozak, well, Edie would tell me, Mark, she goes, would you do me a favor? She goes, here, she gave me a ten dollar bill. I'd go over there to that baseball stadium, which at the time, it was a, a what do you call it, semi-pro baseball team. And, you know, it was competition at the time. You know, the baseball is still in the wrestling fan. So, Edie gave me a $10 bill. I'd go walk in that stadium, and I'd sit at the very top of the baseball stadium, and I would fast count. She goes, you know how to fast count? I go, no, ma'am. I'm 10, 10, 13 years old. She goes, go in there and just kind of count the people. She goes, just roughly, just. See how many people you count. Well, me, I'm a kid. I was going to count them until every single person. So I took that that message back to her. Edie, there was 2,000 people at the baseball game. So she would kind of like, you know, so that's the way the business was. You know, she was going, damn, you know, the, is the baseball pulling our, the business down or, you know, it was that type of deal. But I got to do shit like that, go put wrestling cards out. You know, around different little small towns, go tape it on the door. You know, it was kind of like, yeah, that was my life. You know, going, working in the, the concession stand, selling salty popcorn. This way the fans will buy more drinks. That was just the way of life, right? I mean, it, and you didn't know any different. You know, it was just, that's didn't. just what you did kid, because yeah. that's what your dad did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just a little restless kid and, until I got into the business. And then, and then I really know how it is now and how, and it, it kind of how wrestling really kind of, it, it really intertwines with how world 
how we live nowadays. I mean, because oh boy, my son Ryan, and he, he knows now how what I'm talking about at work and how people work. Yeah, you know, he, he's an av- aviation engineer. He builds airplanes in Washington. You know, he's he's kind of knowing now, and now he knows what I'm talking about because how uh, he has to deal with some of the you know the suit and ties up there at the you know Boeing plant. And now he knows how they, how they're trying to work him. So it's kind of something that you can use in everyday life. He wants to come out with a book, how you can use wrestling in everyday life because the way you can, you know, manipulate people and be able to believe them or, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, uh, Carney, Carney's involved in wrestling, you know, believe right. it or not, you know, it's the old term. So. Oh yeah, yeah it's absolutely. Just, it's a way. It's a way of life. You know, there's a certain language in wrestling, you know, carving. There's a lot involved in wrestling. And, and you know, you, I don't know if you really take an oath, oath, I would say, to wrestling. You know, I was brought up in the business. My dad always told me do's and don'ts about wrestling and the respects of the business, you know. So I've really never, you know, dogged anybody because, I mean, if it wasn't for those other guys out there, I wouldn't be where I was, am at today. You know, and I just knew the respect of the business, you know, in that type of way. I mean, just stay out of other people's business. Don't keep put your nose in anybody else's business and you'll be all right. You know. Russellville.com presents the book Lance by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich. Hear how he was discovered, what happened when he was at World Class, and the adventures he had when he left Dallas. Also available, the Pro Wrestling Vault, Volume 1 and 2. Read stories of the Northern Wrestling Federation, Jazz, Bobby Eaton, Thunder Rosa, Tracy Smothers, Harley Race, PJ Black, Bushwhacker Luke, The Fantastics, Ricky Morton, Scott Casey, Tim Storm, Kamala, Sauronaro, Jeremiah Plunkett, Andrew Anderson, and many more. Get your books today at Russellville.com. Russell. It's It's where wrestling lives. Have you ever wondered what happened to Lance Von Erich? Find out in his book, Lance by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich. You'll read stories about Chris Adams, Ric Flair, and Billy Jack Haynes. And of course, the Von Erich family themselves. Get your book today on Amazon.